Howdy, you're listening to Think Brazos, a podcast dedicated to improving housing affordability, economic opportunity, and financial stability in Brazos County. Think Brazos is a project of Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Alexa. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Think Brazos and give us a stunning review. And just remember, think local, think Brazos. Your housing costs are impacted by policies at every single level of government, so housing's always on the ballot. That's why Think Brazos is excited to share with you these local candidate interviews so that you're ready to vote down ballot in the election this November. Think Brazos interviewed both candidates who are running for the City of Bryan single member district 4 in the election this November. In this episode, Charles Coates speaks with Flint Adcock about his background and priorities for Bryan should he win in November. We'll leave a link in the show notes for his opponent Doris Machinsky's episode. Enjoy the interview. This is Think Brazos. This is a publication of Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. It's a podcast program all about local politics, local policies that that impact things like affordable housing as well as everyday life for Bryan and College Station and Brazos County residents. We're joined today by Flynn Adcock, who is running for place 4 or single member district 4, right? Of of the Bryan City Council. So we're really happy to have him here today and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and why he's why he's running. So really happy to have you on. Uh, thank you very much, Charles. As as Charles said, I'm Flynn Adcock. I'm running for Bryan City Council, single member district four. I I came to A and M as a freshman in 1982. Graduated with a degree in economics in 1986, and then went off to to Washington D.C. for a few years. Worked in politics. It was a a very fun time. Remet a, a a lady that I had known at A and M. We started going out up there. We came back to Texas and got married. I'm married to the former. Donna Elizabeth Fluger from Fluggerville and in 1990 she she had her undergrad in 1987 in 1990 we both decided we wanted uh, graduate degrees and so uh, we decided to come back to Texas A&M and pursue our masters and so we came back and then once we completed our masters we were looking for a permanent place to live because we both had jobs with the university so we looked around and we decided to buy a house in the Oaks subdivision right next to Johnson Elementary. We lived there for 17 years and then uh our daughters both of them who went through uh Bryan schools and graduated from Bryan High School were getting to that age where we needed a bigger house so that we had neutral corners to go to during uh loud family discussions. Uh, and so we bought our current house 11 years ago in Memorial Forest. So I've lived in single member district 4 for the last 28 years. I've been politically involved ever since graduating from college uh, first in DC and then once we got back and established after grad school, I helped on a few campaigns and then following uh 9/11 a lot of us decided we wanted to be more involved so i ran for office i didn't win but i started getting involved in uh city uh, politics uh, city service i should say as a result of that in 2004 i ran against mark conley for the same seat 
He won. It was a clean campaign. Two years later, I ran against Ann Horton and Lloyd Joyce for the same seat. It was a clean campaign, but Ann won. But I say that because they helped me get on Brian boards and commissions because there was no ill will after these campaigns. Hmm. Uh, and I'm happy to say that both of them have yard signs of mine in their yards this go around. So uh, I think that speaks to the relationship you can have with your competitors who can also become your friends. And so uh, I was first appointed to the Community Development Advisory Committee in 2004. Uh, at that time, uh, I know that they were trying to, I was on it for four or five years, they were trying to start a good relationship with uh, Habitat for Humanity. We never quite accomplished it then, but I understand there's a good relationship now between uh, the city's uh, community development division and Habitat, and I'm very, very happy to hear that. I moved from there to Parks and Rec Advisory Committee, uh, making sure that the, the parks were uh, coming in as they should be, and, and the staff was able to do what they needed to to make sure the parks added to our quality of life. In 2012, uh, I was appointed to the, the uh, at the time I was about to become the chairman of Parks and Rec Advisory Committee, which I did finish up as in that role, but I was also appointed to the BTU Board of Directors. So I've been on the BTU Board of Directors for eight years, and I'm currently serving as chair. I got a master's in economics. Again, I, I got another master's a little later in finance. So I, I feel pretty good about my educational background in the ability to help the city move forward in our current time and post-COVID. I feel very good about my familiarity with Brian and specifically this part of Brian since I've spent 28 years here and my ability to help the city council, help the city move forward through this, through this COVID crisis and beyond. And I feel pretty good about my experience in service to the city on various boards and commissions. There's a couple I didn't mention, but that's okay. It's only Board of Adjustments and the Comprehensive Plan Advisory Committee back in 2005. And so that's given me a well-rounded view, both practical and what can happen uh, if we all put, put ourselves together and, and work towards common goal. So you referred to this a couple of times about COVID and maybe how there's been an impact here on the city. What would you say, probably related to COVID, is one of the biggest challenges you think that is facing Brian as a city? And how could you, if elected, help to kind of shepherd the city through that? Well, I think one of the biggest problems it's had is, is its impact on our businesses and our employees through decisions made first by the federal government, then by the state, and uh, joined in by the local. We had to make those decisions. They had to make those decisions. It's easy to say they shouldn't have made those decisions, but at the time, I wasn't the person who's responsible. You know, the people who are responsible for, for, for the health and safety of, of the population had some hard decisions to make, but that also put a lot of businesses in trouble, and it also put a lot of their employees in trouble. And so... So, so you're talking like, about, like, the shutdown and that sort the, of the thing. The shutdown. Yeah. And so that, 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 that and a, and a, as a result of them being shut down, they lost business. They weren't able to, some of them weren't able to sustain their business plan, their business model, and had to go out of business. 
A lot of people had reduced hours, some have no hours, and there was some assistance available, but it's always hard matching up the assistance with those who, who all of those who need it. Okay. Mm-hmm. At the same time, because there were fewer sales, fewer sales tax dollars came into the city, and that kind sure. of put a, put a crimp uh, on our, our budget. We've done better, relatively speaking, than our neighbor to the south because we are more property tax based than than sales tax based. And in fact, uh, a lot of people came through and, and purchased a lot of to go food, a lot of a lot of uh, other items that the sales tax really didn't drop as much. It's just they planned for it being higher than it was, and no one saw this coming. Nobody's fault, and and so. Uh, there's not a lot you can do about these things. So hopefully you, you watch your spending, you try to help those that need help. Uh, if the city doesn't have a plan to help them, there are many, many organizations in the area who, who, who can, who the city can refer people to and people can go to and get the assistance that they need. And this hopefully will be not as long lasting as some think. Hopefully by early next year, we'll be coming out of it. There's, you know, there's a long way to go between now and then. And we just have to make sure we don't overspend and put ourselves in a bind should another unexpected situation occur. And sure. we need to, to handle that as well. Sure. So it sounds like what you're you're recommending, like a lot of local leaders are, is being really careful with your budgets and that sort of thing. And even possibly spending cuts maybe in areas. Do you have any in mind? I don't know if you want to get on record on that right now. No, but I don't have any areas. cuts in mind. Okay. Uh, but we have to be sympathetic to the fact that some people are going to have difficulty, for instance, uh, paying their property taxes because their, their planned income for the year just didn't work out. Okay. Right. And there's going to be some businesses who are never able to return to the, the number of, of employees that they had. And so those, those individuals will be hurt, but, but also there'll be less taxes collected from those type businesses as well to support. So I'm not going to get into specific cuts. I was happy to see that they held the line basically on most things with this last budget, with the exception of the police force, which was awarded I believe six additional positions. I'm not exactly sure of the number five or six additional positions. Like and and with the uh, the other issue going on in, in 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 the U.S. right now, that's a refreshing situation that we were able to do because we have been prudent fiscally during these last few years, and we were able to carve out a little bit of an increase in in our police force. Yeah, and. You know, something that I was interested to ask you, knowing your background with BTU and that sort of thing, um, you know, I've been following city government affairs for a little bit here on behalf of Habitat, but I'm not fully aware of how all this works. But it seems that BTU as a business and yet affiliated with the city is a pretty important I guess, revenue source for the city or it's valuable in a sense that y'all own it, right? Or the city of Bryan owns it. How does this relationship between BTU and the city kind of work? Well, BTU is an enterprise of the city of Bryan. The city of Bryan owns uh, BTU. It's uh, 
it's like waterworks. It's like uh, transportation and sanitation. It's like the police department. Every, it, our head reports to the city manager. Okay, uh, we're not separate. We're a division, but we're a pretty big division. The city budget's about I don't know four hundred million dollars, four hundred twenty million dollars, something like that. about two hundred sixty million of that is BTU. Wow. Okay, and so that is because. BTU both produces inner, uh, electricity and competes on the wholesale market, which we can't talk about because that's a competitive matter. But we also have a fairly large set of retail customers, about 62,000 retail customers in, in Bryan, rural Brazos County, and uh, e even parts of College Station that mm -hmm. have been uh, annexed into College Station but we're already in our service area. We don't have to, to, to give up that service area just because they annex the area. And so you got a lot of poles, you got a lot of wires, you got a lot of capital projects, you got to buy energy, you're selling energy. It, it, it's, it's a pretty complicated business. I've been on the board eight years. I'm starting to learn what's going on <laughs> after eight years. People spend 40 years in, in the business, and, and they get pretty good at it. I will say that our staff there is top-notch. King Register, who's a city manager, came from BTU, so he understands the utility, which, which helps us operate the way we need to operate. And what we try to do at BTU is provide the most reliable electricity as we can at the lowest possible rates. And we do a pretty good job of that. And so that's why I joined the board uh, when the opportunity arose. And so I, I'm proud to, to, to say that we've been providing fairly consistent low-priced electricity to our customers, both in the city and in the rural Brazos County and into uh, parts of College Station as well. So it's a BTU is a huge part of the budget. That's yes. that's interesting and very much different from uh, the city right to our south. So that now that's yeah. some fascinating stuff. I think the bigger difference there is that they don't produce anything. Right. We have we have Atkins Power Plant. We have mm -hmm. Lake Bryan area. Uh, the, the, the Dansby plants out there, and then we were partners in TMPA, and all, and all that's part of the deal. Those are big, big facilities. And they're expensive facilities. <laughs> right. So let me switch real quick. I had a question. Obviously, this is a podcast partly about housing affordability and that sort of thing. So I kind of wanted to, to switch to housing for a minute here. So the single member district four, as far as I can understand it, it seems to be an interesting mix where you have more of the higher income developments, but you also have a smattering of maybe what you would call more affordable rental, multifamily, that sort of thing as well mixed in there. Do, am I understanding that right? That there's well, kind of a mix? Or? We're, we're a very established part of town. Uh -huh. I mean, we go from the south border of, of, of Bryan, bounded by Texas and the bypass on either side. Yeah. From Texas at Coulter up to William J. Bryan, from William J. Bryan, back to the bypass. It's a very okay. compact district, right. very established district. We have uh, old, good neighborhoods of all income ranges. 
Right. We, 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 we have on June Street Miracle Place, I believe, that has the numerous uh, habitat homes on it. That's correct. Uh, we have Rosemary Drive, which has some phenomenal-looking houses. Uh, right. The point is, we're a microcosm of everything. We're very diverse. We have a wide range of income. And, and that gets to what one of the things people want most is a clean, nice, safe place to live that they can afford. Right. Different people can afford different things. But it highlights the need that the fact that people are of various different income levels, people are at various different stages in their life. And so there's a need for housing to meet all of those different ranges. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job of that in, in Bryan as a whole, but, but I think a really good job has been done in single-member District 4 for that because, again, we have a wide range. We also have most of Bryan's, not all of them, but, but a lot of Bryan's senior living uh, facilities, uh, apartment complexes and what have you, and that's different than, than you know some of the other areas of town have one or two those are great, but we, we have a concentration, I'm counting four or five that I can think of, and those are important because that represents another stage in life that some people decide to have that type of a living situation. And so all people really want, and there's been a term around for a long time that, that everyone's got a different opinion on of what it means, kind of like sustainability. Well, this was right. quality affordable housing. And it means different things to different people. But again, I think it basically means the access to housing that is clean, safe, and you can afford it. Okay. Most people just want to, to have something to call their own, whether they're renting it or owning it. They want to pay for it. They want it safe. They want it clean and nice. Yes. And sometimes what we see is this kind of uh, tension, maybe not so much in Brian, but, you know, in Habitat's line of work, we do see it where it's between those who understand what you just described. And that is that people are coming from different walks of life. They can afford different things. And so we have to figure out a way to coexist in some cases, side by side or neighborhood by neighborhood versus those who, who maybe don't want their neighborhood to change in any way or that kind of thing. Um, where would you say that you stand in terms of, I guess, what we at Habitat would call sometimes a need for incremental change of a society as it grows? And what I mean by that is things can slowly change, neighborhoods can slowly change, versus those who, who say, okay, I don't ever want my town to change. Brian is Brian. No change. Where would you if, say you kind of stand? If, if your town never changes then your town stagnates and your town goes away, okay? People want to live in nice areas, but people live through, go through their own stages of life. So you take Memorial Forest, for instance. When we moved here 11 years ago, we were some of the younger people and we had a couple of middle schoolers, okay? We were more the exception. We had a lot of older people living in the neighborhood. Those people have moved on to, to different places or what have you. And now 
both of our kids have graduated college. We're a little older, and we have a whole bunch of children in our neighborhood now that that, that we didn't have, you know, 10 years ago. And, right. and, and so the need arose at Camelot Park to put in a new playground. Hmm. And people are walking more, and the need arose to put a bridge over at Camelot Park from our side of the creek over to the Peterson Way side of the creek, okay? It's going to change whether you want it or not. So people want good places to live, but they also want good places to work, good places to shop, good places to dine, okay? You're not going to get that if nothing ever changes. You need to build those some people want to move to different places. You need to build those different places. By the same token, developers, builders, they want to locate in areas that understand the, the vibrancy, that, that have good neighborhoods, that have people that want to shop, that have people that want to dine, that have people that want to work. So a lot of elections are, you know, neighborhoods versus development. I think neighborhoods and development need each other very, very desperately. Developers build a lot of the things that the neighbors want to use. Sure. But the developers aren't going to come here unless there's a good population and good neighborhoods. Okay. We need each other. Okay. Right. And so I think that's very important. And so we need to be welcoming of new development at the same time. We need to make sure that the neighborhoods can and do stay nice and stable. We have very solid neighborhoods at all ranges in single member district four. We need to allow the neighborhoods to stay solid, but these people also want places to shop at. They want parks to, to, to have a better quality of life at. They, so everyone needs each other. And if we don't have more come in and built, then we'll never expand our tax base Tax rates will only go higher if you bring in development. Tax rates, you expand the tax base, and tax rates at least have a chance to go down. And, and what people want, in addition, is good services that they can pay hopefully less for. Again, back to BTU, we provide very good electricity, very consistent, reliable electricity at very good rates. And so... People want that for all of their their, their municipal-type services. The only way to keep those rates down, those, those taxes down in, in this case, is to uh, have enough development so as the, the tax base can expand. So I, I think that we've heard, you know, we've covered a fairly broad range of topics here today. So we've heard a little bit, I think, of your main stances or your platform. But if you were to sum it up just in a, a few sentences, what would you say you stand for that you're running for your platform? Okay. I'll say this. I'm not running with a bee in my bonnet. I think Brian has done a really good job these last 15 to 20 years moving in the right direction. Okay. I think that my years of uh, service on boards and commissions can help us keep moving in that direction uh, along with my experience as an economist, my education and training. Uh, because we have some difficult times and we need to keep moving forward. I have three top priority issues, not in any particular order. First, I want to ensure city services such as police, fire, roads, other infrastructure, and utilities remain top-notch 
with respect to the first responders and police and, and, and firefighters and EMT. We need to fund them best we can. We need to train them best we can because safety is one of people's most desired things that they want. Uh, I wish I had a better word than things, but, but they're one of the most <laughs> desired functions that they want to receive. They want to be safe. We need to create an environment where businesses of all kinds want to locate here and existing Brian businesses will want to expand here. That will allow us to expand the tax base. And I think that's good for everyone. And then we need to keep our neighborhoods, our solid neighborhoods solid and be inviting to new neighborhoods, which are needed in all ranges, whether that's your stage of life or your income range. And this will help us to ensure a higher quality of life. And so those are the three main things. You know, quality of life, parks come in with that. People are walking more. It'd be nice to have more sidewalks in some of the neighborhoods, uh, even if it's just on one side of the street. We need to keep the kids and the people who are walking out of the street. Uh, so these are all things that uh, COVID had make it, has made us uh, more aware of because people aren't going to gyms. They're walking around for exercise. And so, yeah. uh, you know, one thing COVID has done is awaken us to uh, some of the things that would really help us be a, a better community with a higher quality of life. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, we really appreciate getting a chance to visit with you today. Is there any last word you have? And, and also, how can the people get in touch with you or even help with your campaign or anything like that should they want to do that? Okay, well, I can go through a litany of things. They can find information about me on my uh, campaign Facebook page. If you're on Facebook or you go to Facebook, you just search Flynn Adcock for Bryan City Council and it will pop up, okay? On that has my uh, contact information. My email, as you know, is fjadcock64 at gmail.com. And then I also have a Twitter page that people can find that information out as well. And that's Flynn for SMD4 is my Twitter handle. So if you're on Twitter, go to Flynn for SMD4 and you'll, you'll, you'll find me there. And I'm always available. My, my phone number is on both my Facebook page and I also believe my Twitter page. But I'm not sure about that, but it's on my Facebook page. Feel free to call me. I live in the neighborhood. We'll be walking around. A lot of people have already received information from me. Ask me anything. Get in touch with me for any, any sort of question you have regarding my candidacy. And I'd be happy to get back with you as quickly as I can. And vote Flynn Adcock for Bryan City Council, single member District 4. I think I can help. Brian, keep moving in the, de the correct direction that we've been going these last uh, couple of decades. I'd really like to, to have that opportunity to help move that forward. Well, Mr. Adcock, thank you so much for speaking with us. Flynn Adcock, candidate for SMD4, City of Bryan City Council. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Charles. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Think Brasses. Be sure to check out our other interviews and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. And when you're at the ballot box, just remember, think local, think Brasses.